I've watched those clips probably four or five times this week, and I've decided I want to rewatch the movie Invictus. So both of those clips are from that movie. If you have never seen the movie, it's about uh, the story of Nelson Mandela and how, uh, how he becomes and deals with uh, the presidency in um, South Africa. It's a fantastic movie. I'm sure it's Hollywoodized a little bit, but um, if you get a chance to take a look at it. So we, uh, we are in the midst of a series uh, talking about Joseph. Uh, Joseph is one of my favorite uh, people from Scripture. Um, where we left off last week, uh, Heather was here. Heather was here? Yes? Heather was here, and she spoke about how um, uh, Joseph got stuck in a pretty sticky situation. He was trying to do the right thing in the midst of uh, his boss's household, and his boss's wife tries to seduce him, and so he runs. Ends up being thrown in prison in the midst of that because Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of, of, of doing something he didn't do. So in the midst of trying to do the right thing, ends up in a pretty awful situation, right? So the story doesn't end there. This story actually is like a huge chunk of the end of Genesis, and, it's, and it is a great story. So if you ever get a chance, you can start like somewhere in the late 30s of Genesis and keep reading. But Joseph finds himself in prison, and that's not the end of the story. He doesn't rot away and die in prison. Instead, he is in prison and one day meets the baker and the chief cupbearer who work for Pharaoh, the ultimate authority in all of Egypt. They're thrown in jail, and both of them one night have a dream. And so in the midst of dealing with this dream, and we've been talking about dreams for weeks now, right? In the midst of dealing with these two dreams, they don't understand what the dream is until they meet Joseph, who begins to interpret the dream for them. And he, and he specifically shares with them, he tells the baker, uh, things are not looking good for you. But tells the cupbearer, look, you know, one day you're going to find yourself back at the hand at the right hand of the king of Pharaoh. So everything's going to be fine. And sure enough, these two situations pan out. Time goes by, and here's Joseph still stuck in prison. And Pharaoh has a dream. And when Pharaoh has a dream, he gathers anybody who he thinks could interpret him around him to decipher what this dream was, but no one can. And in the midst of that, the cupbearer remembers, oh, there's this guy I met in prison who, um, he does this whole dream interpreting thing. In fact, and he shares the story of how, you know, how he ended up back in his position and, and how, how this guy, Joseph, uh, interpreted this dream for him. And so Pharaoh does what Pharaoh can do, which is anything he wants because he's Pharaoh. And he summons Joseph from prison and Joseph finds himself standing in Pharaoh's presence, and Pharaoh shares a dream with him. And he says, can you interpret that? So Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, the dream is simply this. We're going to have seven years of great success. The harvest is going to be so plentiful that you're not going to know what to do with all of the grain that you're going to have. Everyone is going to be fed, be healthy, and sustained. And then after those seven years of absolute bounty, we're going to have seven years of one of the harshest famines 
Egypt has ever suffered. And so Pharaoh, in the midst of this uh, conversation with Joseph, frees Joseph from jail. And actually puts Joseph in a position of power. Joseph ultimately ends up being second in command of all of Egypt. And the only person he answers to is Pharaoh. Talk about, you know, your situation, your circumstances really changing. Working for the governor, being thrown in jail, now being second in command. I always wondered, like, how did Potiphar's wife feel when she found out Joseph was now in charge of her husband? You know, the untold stories of Genesis. So in the midst of all this, they begin their seven years of great bounty. And there's so much grain, Joseph begins storing up as much of the grain as he can and keeping track of it. But the grain was so bountiful that they couldn't keep track of it anymore. Their silos, I picture they had silos in Egypt, I don't really know. But that when the famine hit, they were able to supply Egypt with food during that time. And people from surrounding nations came and were able to purchase food which I'm sure made Pharaoh very happy because Egypt's wealth began to increase. So that brings us to today's story. In Genesis chapter 45, well, 43 to 45, Joseph's brothers and Joseph's father find themselves in a tough situation. They're hungry. Their resources are limited. Because famine stretched beyond just Egypt. It was in the whole area. And word gets to Joseph's family that Egypt has enough to go around. So Jacob, Joseph's father, does what any intelligent human being would do in this situation and says, let's go buy some food. Walmart's out, ShopRite's out, but Egypt has got what we need. So he sends his sons, 10 of them, leaving Benjamin, his new favorite, at home because he can't bear the thought of losing Benjamin even though decades before he lost his favorite son. So his ten sons go and begin this journey to Egypt. And the ten sons find themselves in the midst of Pharaoh's number two. But they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph does recognize them immediately, though. And so here they are on their knees in front of their once sold into slavery younger brother, Asking to buy some food. So I picture this scene. I picture myself being in Joseph's situation. And my first thought is, I would totally mess with these guys. Like, I would make it absolutely uncomfortable for them. I would probably torture them enough. I'd flex my power a little bit because, you know, I would, they sold me into slavery, right? 
They hated me. They, they sold me into slavery. I mean, have I mentioned that? I spent time in prison because my brothers got rid of me. But Joseph doesn't respond quite like that. Instead, what he does is standing in front of them, using an interpreter so that they don't uh, know that he understands their language. He tells them, you guys are spies. Why would you come here? And he gets them to spill the beans of what's going on in their family life at home. And they insist, we're, we're not spies. I, I, you know, we're, we're one of 12 brothers, or we're 10 of 12 brothers, and, and our dad is at home, and, and we're just we're looking for food, and, and we, we brought money to, to, to buy our share. And so Joseph throws them in prison to really try to find out why are you here? To find out if they recognize him and know who he is. To get the truth of what has gone on all these years. So in the midst of all that, Joseph finally decides, you know what, I'm going to send you back with grain. You can, you can pay for it, we'll fill up your sacks, and we'll send it back. However, I want you to come back with your younger brother who you didn't come with. And as a ransom, I'm going to hold one of you here. So poor Simeon gets left in prison in Egypt as his brothers travel back to their father with grain. And as they get back, they open up their sacks and find that all of the money that they purchased this grain with was put back in their sacks, which scares them even more. Does this guy think that we stole from him? Are they going to come hunt us down? He wants us to bring our brother back. Our father would never allow it. So more time passes, and I wonder how much time but enough time passes where they're out of food again. And Jacob says, you need to go back and buy some more. But they're afraid. But all this time their brother is stuck in Egypt in prison. Like so, were they like, ah, you know what, we don't like him anyway. Yeah. So finally, the brothers come back to Egypt, this time with their youngest brother, Benjamin, Joseph's true brother. And during that time, they fill up their sacks once again with grain, and they send them back to their father, Jacob. But Joseph instructs one of his servants to take his silver cup, Joseph's silver cup, and put it in Benjamin's bag. And so they begin their journey back. And in the midst of this journey, some Egyptian soldiers catch up to them and say, hey, uh, you know, Joseph is requesting your presence again. And so they go back, and they're in Joseph's midst, and Joseph tells them, you have stolen from me. How dare you steal? I... I I've done nothing but, but help you here, and you've stolen from me. And they say, 
you know what, if anybody has stolen from you, let you, you know, you can kill them. So they open up their sacks, and sure enough, in Benjamin's sack is Joseph's silver cup. And the brothers are disheartened in that moment because they promised dad that we would bring your favorite son back. And so they're begging and pleading and saying, you know what, uh, Judah speaks up and says, you know, take my life. I, you know, I will be your slave and your servant forever. Just please allow Benjamin to get back to my dad. My dad's, would be, my dad's heart would be broken because it's our fault that he lost his son and we can't bear to see him lose another one. And that takes us to chapter 45. And Joseph says, in verse 1 of chapter 45, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers, who still didn't know who he was. And when he was alone with his brothers, he told them that he was Joseph. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it, I am Joseph, he says to his brothers. I I don't think they got it yet. Is my father still alive? But in that moment, his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of him. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to slavery in Egypt. I picture the brothers at that moment are feeling two major sets of emotions. One is absolute fear. And two is a sense of our brother is alive. A sense of love and, and, and that feeling of I've missed you. So Joseph's response to them is, I can stand it no longer. So he's putting them through this test of fire and tells them, I can't stand it any longer. I need to tell you who I am. But he put them through this test for a reason. One, his entire dream that God had instilled on him hinged on this exchange with his brothers. Because if you remember from the very first story that was shared in the midst of this series, Joseph had a dream that that his brothers would all one day bow down to him. And here they are, in his presence, bowing down to him. He put them through this test to find out, hey, what's going on? It's did. Benjamin ended up with the same fate I did. Was your jealousy too much? Did you kill him off too? Sell him into slavery? Could he be in Egypt and I just don't even know? Is dad still alive? Did you get tired of dad and get rid of dad? So he finds out what's going on, the status of the family. And finally, I think he wanted to know if they truly are remorseful 
for what they did. Because if the first time they walked into his presence, he said, hey, brothers, it's me, Joseph. Guess who's uh, in charge over here in Egypt? I'm sure that they'd be excited to see him and, and, and guarantee that they felt bad for what they did. But Joseph might not ever know if they truly felt sorry for what they did. But through this test, and through hearing them have conversations with each other in which they don't believe that he can understand what they're saying, he finds out that they truly are remorseful. And in this moment is not when I believe when Joseph forgave them. Because I believe Joseph forgave them years earlier. But in this moment, he was able to share with them, guys, look, yeah, that was pretty awful. Yeah, I can think of only a handful of things that would have been worse than that, but it's in my top five. But look, I, f I forgave you years ago. Because I knew in order for God's dream to come true, that forgiveness needed to happen. See, Joseph was a man filled with compassion, and he was a man that understood the bigger picture. He knew that one day, this day would come, that he would find his brothers bowing down before him like the dream that God had laid on his heart. So the story continues in Genesis chapter 25. He says this, but don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Talking about relieving your brothers of, of some major feelings that they got going on. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh and the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. So Joseph elicits to them a relief. Without forgiveness, there's no dream. Without forgiveness, our, our God-sized dreams can't come to fruition. And so I'm reminded of the story uh, of, of the movie clip that we saw about uh, Nelson Mandela, who, was, uh, who became president in South Africa. He had a dream of unifying a country that had such division and segregation. And if any man being put in that position could hold a grudge between a persecuting group of people, he had every right to. Someone who spent decades in prison being finds himself in the ultimate seat of power. 
and he chooses to forgive. What you don't see is uh, right before the scene that was shown was uh, four white men walk into the security guard's office and say, hey, we're, we're here reporting for duty. And Jason, the head of security, was like, there's not a chance we are putting our president's hands in yours, his life in your hands. So Nelson Mandela says that forgiveness starts here. Because he understood that it had to start at the top. He can't expect people in his country to forgive if he was unwilling to do it himself. He couldn't expect his men to forgive if he first wasn't willing to show forgiveness himself. He says that forgiveness liberates the soul. I love that. You see, I believe that this was true for Joseph as well. Joseph's soul was liberated the day he forgave his brothers. And I believe his brothers experienced that liberation when they found out about the forgiveness that they were shown years earlier. You see, our dreams have to do with more than just ourselves. When we have a God-sized dream in our life, it's more than just about me. It affects more than just me. When you have a God-sized dream in your life, it affects more than just you. I experienced this firsthand myself. You know, I, I know that, that there are these huge dreams that God has planned for me and, and what he wants to see me accomplish with my life for his kingdom. And I was stuck in the bondage of being unable to forgive years ago. You see, for me, I experienced kind of what many have experienced when it comes to forgiveness, except I had a deep wound from my dad. Yeah, happy Father's Day. And this wound was something that had been years of damage. You see, nine years ago, uh, my dad and I, our relationship fell apart, and, and we haven't spoken in nine years. And about seven years ago, I was at a point in my life where I understood that if I didn't forgive my dad for the wound that he caused in my life, I would never be able to allow God's dream to live through me. And I remember sitting and talking uh, with somebody, and, and she shared with me a very simple truth. She said, forgiveness doesn't mean that you go back to the way life was before. Forgiveness is releasing the situation, releasing the blame. It's liberating your soul and allowing you to move on. You see, when I was being stuck in this moment, 
It was affecting me as a man and as a husband and as a father and as a pastor. And it wasn't until I was able to forgive my dad that this giant weight fell off my shoulders. I know that one day he and I will talk again and I will, like Joseph, be able to share with him about this forgiveness. And I hope that our meeting will be like Joseph's and his brother's. The last part, not the torturing him part. (laughs) You see, we live in a world of relationships. We don't live in a vacuum. There are people in our lives every single day. There are people that have caused harm or a wound. And as I'm saying this, if there is somebody in your life, you know exactly who it is because that feeling is dwelling up inside you. An image or the person's name is, is, is filling your every thought to the point where you almost can't pay attention to me now. I've been there. And so my question to you is, is it time to seek forgiveness? Is it time to give forgiveness? Are you being held back in your God-sized dream because of it? Don't ignore that feeling deep inside your soul. Don't let anything get in the way of forgiveness. So I'm going to leave you with this. This is from Colossians chapter 3. These are Paul's words to the Colossian church. And I think these are words that He is speaking to us today. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Make allowance for each other's faults because they'll come. And forgive anyone who offends you. Paul's not saying forgive just some. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which bind us all together in perfect harmony. Rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. But he's not done. 
Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that we will clothe ourselves with those virtues that come from you. Allow us to seek forgiveness so we can be freed to live your dream. Allow us to forgive so we can be free to live your dream. Lord, don't allow us to leave here until we come to grips with what you are speaking into our hearts. And give us the strength and the power to follow through. And may you continue to speak these God-sized dreams in our lives. And may we be faithful to you this day and always. Amen.